Good morning. Um, Our scripture reading today is from the book of Ruth, chapter 1. We're beginning four weeks reading through this little Old Testament book of Ruth uh, in these Sunday mornings in August. So you can find that on page 267 in your pew Bibles. So Ruth, chapter 1. Let's hear God's word. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with, with his wife and two sons, went to live for a time in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Machlon and Kilian, They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Machlon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your own mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought that there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. 
because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And this is God's word. Well, if you'd like to turn back to Ruth chapter 1, you can find it on page 267 in the Pew Bibles. And let's ask for God's help. Our Father, you tell us that uh, with faith all things are possible. Help us to have faith today. Help us to trust in your unfailing promises, in your boundless provision, in your unfailing grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading today ends with a woman returning to her hometown after many years away. Her name is Lovely, or in Hebrew, Naomi. But it's the people she grew up with gather around to see her again. Lovely demands that they give her a new name. Call me bitter, she says. For the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. I had a husband and two boys. And I have come back to you empty. I left my husband and my two sons buried in Moab. Lovely is not being overdramatic here. Alongside the great personal heartache, in her society, if you wanted to have any security, any sense of being sure of an income and being above the breadline, you needed to have a husband or at least some male family members. She stood before the people she grew up with, emotionally and economically bereft. By the standards of her society, Lovely's life has not turned out to be lovely, to say the very least. Like Israel in the wilderness, Lovely complains with some justice that the Lord has only given her bitter water to drink. And many of us will know just how that feels. We know what it's like to be in a dark place. The young girl who starts wearing black all the time. The parents who don't know what to do anymore. The waves of despair that can come over us when we least expect it. That gnawing, empty hole as we look at other people's lives and feel empty inside. Don't call me lovely. Call me bitter. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. Don't talk to me about the love of God. The book of Ruth is not a romantic novel. Verse 1, this took place in the days when the judges ruled. These were dark days in Israel. And the book of Judges describes a kind of a repeated cycle. A generation forgets about God and turns away from him. But then when judgments come, things like famines come, 
They cry out to the Lord for rescue. And the Lord in his grace provides a rescuer, a deliverer, a saviour. And so they turn back to the Lord. But then slowly but surely, the next generation falls away again from the Lord. And the whole cycle goes round and round and round. And the book of Ruth is all about how to live in those kind of dark days. It's about how we turn away from the Lord and how we can return. It's all about trying to give us a richer view of how God acts in our world. The book of Ruth is aiming to show us how to live by faith when God's goodness seems to be hidden in dark days. Because ultimately, the book of Ruth turns out to be all about how God sent Christ with enough light to chase away the darkness in our minds and in our world. Now, the story leads us very gently towards this conclusion, and I've gone several steps ahead. So let's begin where this story starts, with this one family, and hopefully you'll begin to see this morning and over the next few weeks the richness of this story of God's grace. Now, amid all the wonderful details here this morning, we're just going to try and notice three big things. And the first one is that we have wandered away. Verse 1 tells us that this story is led by a man from Bethlehem, and that means uh, the house of bread, literally, or I'm going to call it bread house. So we've got white house, well, they had bread house. Um, And uh, this man has got a a wife and two sons. And then in verse 2, we're given their names. The man's name was Elimelech, which means my God is king. His wife's name, we've already heard, means pleasant, or I'm going to call her lovely. And the names of the two sons, well, apologies if you know any Killians. Um, I don't know if it's the same word as the Hebrew one, but uh, these boys are called Blot Out and Perish. Okay? It's not a good start for them, is it? And actually, this is a very strange start to this story. Because what's happening is there's a famine in the land, and a man whose name is My God is King decides to leave Bread House to go looking somewhere else for bread. Why would a man whose name seems to represent trust in God's rule leave the place of God's provision to go looking for provisions elsewhere? Well, it gets even more strange uh, when you think about the place that he goes. They go to live in the country of Moab, or literally the plains of Moab. I think we're meant to see a contrast here between the house of bread kind of civilization and provision, and then this sort of slightly more barren land of Moab. Now, the journey really isn't very far from uh, Bethlehem to Moab. It's kind of like crossing from uh, Donegal into Londonderry. But if there was anywhere that needed to have a hard border between these two countries, it was between Israel and Moab. Um, The word Moab, you're probably getting into your names now. The word Moab means from father but you probably don't want to know why. The Moabites descended from Lot's oldest daughter and the night she slept with her dad. So when you hear the word Moab over the next four weeks, don't think of a sort of exotic place to go on holiday. Think incest. And more than that, think of idolatry as well. Because in the book of Numbers, um, the Israelite men uh, kind of 
take up with uh, Moabite women, and the Moabite women bring idolatry into the camp, and, and plague follows after that. So when you think of Moab, think of incest, think of idolatry, and you might also want to think of ignorance as well. Because when Israel was wandering through the wilderness, Moab refused to provide bread for the people of God. And so they're actually specifically banned from ever coming into the house of God, forever. No other nation is treated like that. So when my God is king decides to go and look for bread in Moab, his decision is both strange and sinful. He's taking his family away from the Lord, away from the place of God's provision, bread house, and leads them towards idolatry and immorality. And soon after, he dies, leaving Lovely and her two sons blot out and perish. And they go a step further. They actually marry Moabite women, and sure enough, they perish. Now, you might be thinking at this point, is this, is this actually a real story with all these kind of names that seem to mean uh, what happens in the story? Well, I think, yes, it is a real story, but it may be the case that the writers change some of the names to reflect what happens to the people in the story. Not so much to kind of um, protect the innocent, but to highlight what happens to the guilty. Because really all we know about blot out and perish is just that. Their names have been rubbed out and erased from history. Why? Because they turned away from the Lord towards idolatry. As Lovely says, the Lord has testified against me. I've been in the houses of a number of people in this congregation over the past year who have shown me pictures on their mantelpiece or on their piano of children that they've lost. And so I can easily imagine Lovely doing the same sort of thing as she comes home. She points to the family portraits. That's my dead husband. Those were my two boys. It is immensely sad. And I think this story is pressing home to us, this point that all Scripture makes, that the wages of sin are death. And here in this story, we can see that in all its brutal, intense, personal pain. If you turn away from the Lord, you're turning into a path that leads to death and it will hurt. And so the Holy Spirit is warning us this morning, don't follow this family into Moab. When famine comes in our lives, when we feel empty, don't leave the place of God's provision to wander into immorality and idolatry. Happens often, doesn't it? People leave the church and they say they've lost their faith. Uh, and it's be- turned out that it's because they've been dissatisfied with some aspect of the, the life that God has given them. And so they've gone to try and fill whatever need that they feel they have elsewhere. And they've turned away from the Lord towards sin. How much better is it to wait patiently in bread house than cross over into a world without God? And actually, that's everyone's story, really, isn't it, at a deeper level? Because in some way, all of us have failed to wait patiently for the Lord. Instead of trusting him to provide, we've, we've very often reached out to grab something for ourselves. And so by nature, the Bible tells us, we're all people who live 
in the plains of Moab. We've wandered away from the promised land and we've gone to live in the wilderness. So we have wandered away, but secondly, God has come to our aid. We don't know how long she had to wait, but eventually there was life-changing good news coming from Judah. Verse 6, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Now, I think this is possibly the most important verse in Ruth, so I'm giving a whole kind of point to it. Um, So far, the book of Ruth has been a story of God's sovereign judgment. But from now on, Ruth is going to be a story of God's sovereign grace. Because the Lord is going to provide a way home, a way back to Judah, for Lovely and her family. And it all begins with this barley harvest. Uh, Nothing obviously miraculous about this, presumably. Just an ordinary harvest after years of famine. But it came in exactly the place that you would expect it to come. In Judah, in Breadhouse, because God had come to provide for his people, for his covenant people, keeping his promises. And for those who live by God's word then, this very ordinary seeming event was actually a sign of God's promise-keeping character, his faithful care. And I think it's a sign then to us of another time when God provided super abundantly for his people in bread house. In Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist's father sings of how God has come to the aid of his people. He says it's like the sun shining from heaven. So the Christ child has come to give light to those who are walking in darkness and in the land of the shadow of death. We have wandered away, but God in Christ has come to our aid. And so thirdly, it's time to come home. Verse 7. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. That's the same for us too. Uh, It's time for us to pack our bags uh, like these women and to come from the nations to the one who's waiting for us in the bread house. How do we do that? How do we kind of travel this way home, spiritually speaking? Well, the whole book of Ruth, I think, is really about this. So we're not going to quite get to the end of that story today. But this chapter does give us a lot. And it really focuses on a kind of a crisis point that comes when somewhere on this road between Moab and Breadhouse, Naomi stops. And she says to her daughters-in-law, verse 8, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you've shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Now, Lovely is being very practical here because in her society, you needed to have a husband to have any life chances. And these Moabite women presumably have very little hope of finding a husband in the house of bread. And so Naomi even says, even if I was to get lucky tonight and give birth and had some sons, would you really wait around for them to grow up and to be your husbands? 
because that's the only way you're going to find a husband, girls. And of course, they're not. It's going to be too late for them. And so she says, there is no hope for you in bread house. Go back. You might as well go back. And she prays as she does so, that as these girls have been uh, faithful, uh, loving uh, women to their dead husbands, she says, well, may the Lord show his steadfast love to you too. May he give you rest in the homes of new Moabite husbands. So this is really important for us to note. In terms of this story, getting a husband is equivalent to having rest. So the book of Ruth, we're not meant to read it for tips on how to get a husband. What we do whenever we hear about husbands in the book of Ruth, we need to be thinking about how we're meant to get rest. And that means fullness, it means satisfaction, it means hope. And the two daughters-in-law then offer us two very different paths to rest. Verse 14, at this they wept again, and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah, you could say she's like the kind of the broad way that leads to destruction. Her decision makes loads and loads of sense, because Lovely's right, there's not much hope for them in bread house, humanly speaking. But it's also clearly the wrong decision. And the commentators will have told me that, um, that her name means neck. And that could be because the kind of the last thing you see of her, she disappears into the desert, is her neck, the back of her neck, turning away from the Lord as she writes herself out of the story. But Ruth then shows us what the narrow way that leads to life looks like. Because she clings to lovely. And that word for clinging there is the same word that gets used when a man and a woman come together and they are to cling to each other. And so we're being told that, that Ruth is continuing to be a loyal wife. She's passed her allegiance onto her new family now, uh, and all that's left is lovely. Now we don't know what Ruth's name means. Uh, she's the only person in this story who doesn't have a Hebrew name. And maybe we're meant to see that she's kind of writing her own script in this story. Well, if that is the case, what a script she writes for herself. Have a look at verse 16. Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn with you, or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. That is a justly famous speech, isn't it? She is saying that she is in this for good, till death do us part. And with these words, she is transcending her past as a Moabite woman. She's left her father and the mother, she's disowned her Moabite gods, and now she is clinging to lovely with a radiant faith in the Lord God of Israel, no matter what the future holds. And you know what? Faith can do that. Faith enables us to transcend whatever past we've got. Because when we have faith, we're clinging to somebody who already transcends our past, who holds the future in his hands, who promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. 
And really, Ruth's faith, I think, highlights that there's actually a third woman on this journey to Breadhouse. Don't call me lovely. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. This is a woman who doesn't seem to have transcended her past, does she? This is a woman who's journeying back to Breadhouse in body, but not in soul. She believes that God is at work in the world. She believes that she knows where to go to find him at work and to find his great graceful provision. But she doesn't expect much from him for her life. She's bitter. She feels the Lord is against her. And so it's messy with Lovely. And it's going to take the whole book of Ruth to see that unwind. But it shows us already that returning to the Lord can be complicated. Because whenever we turn away from the Lord, life does get messy. We get bitter. There is genuine darkness. But when we look at Ruth again, we remember that what we really need at the end of the day is simple faith. That faith trumps everything. That faith allows us to transcend whatever messiness we're in in our lives. Because the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, God will not, he will not desert to its foes. That soul though all hell should endeavour to shake, he'll never, no never, no never forsake. We have wandered away, God has come to our aid, and so we can come home through faith. Now, I want to beg your indulgence for just three more minutes because I don't want to miss off the last verse of this story. And you could easily overlook it, but I think it's a wonderful verse. So, Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, I think if you, you read this, on, this verse on its own, and you could easily just think, oh, that's just telling us what time they came back, just kind of wrapping us up. But I think as, as we've followed this uh, story through to, the, to, the, to come to this verse, you can see that it's actually a verse that is full of hope. The barley harvest has come, we know, because God has come to the aid of his people. And so this verse isn't really about barley. What it's really about is the promise of a new beginning for all the Ruths who have come looking for rest, for all the lovelies who have become bitter. The barley harvest is beginning. And I think this little verse is really kind of has a, in a little snapshot what Ruth is trying to get us to see. Ruth is all about trying to show us that the richness of everyday life. Often, at least for me, I feel like God is very distant. He's in control of my life, yes, but, but sort of 
away up there somewhere, and maybe he'll occasionally intervene, but otherwise, day in, day out, it's kind of up to me. The onus is on me. The buck stops with me. And the danger then is if things go wrong, I'll just feel bitter about how God has left me to deal with things by myself. But the truth that Ruth wants to teach us is that actually, our lives are not slim pickings in the fields of Moab. It's harvest time, because God has come to the aid of his people. The sunlight has shined down from us from heaven, and we need to let the bright colors of God's coming to us in Christ somehow seep through into every corner of how we see our world. When Christ came, somebody said, heaven and earth met and kissed each other. And so we don't believe in a distant monarch who's somewhere up there, but a a God who is closer to us than even our closest friend. The coming of the Son of God into our world makes it very clear that we live in a world that is graced with his presence. And so we should live with a sense of anticipation. It's harvest time. We're not any longer held captive by our pasts. We're not on a dead-end road to nowhere. God has come to Breadhouse. He promises new beginnings as he works all things for the good of those who love him through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom and with whom be praise and authority to the Father with the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that in Bethlehem of Judea there were songs of joy as the angels announced that Christ the Lord had come into our world. Father, may you send us out from here with songs of joy. Lord, we may have sown in tears, but help us to trust that we will reap, that our lives are part of a rich harvest of your steadfast love, that there is hope for all of us who have become bitter, all of us who have a past that we are trying to shake off, all of us who are wondering whether there's any hope for us with you. Lord, teach us to see our lives as so intimately connected with you that we live with hope, with faith, with steadfast love in you and for those around us. We ask that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In our prayers of intercession, we're going to bring before God people who weigh heavily on our hearts and entrust them and us into God's good keeping and sovereign power. Let's pray. And even as the events of the book of Ruth took place at a time when the judges ruled, or rather failed to rule, We pray for this part of the world without a functioning government. Pray that soon the political parties will come down off high horses and agree to form an administration so that decisions can be made for the welfare of society concerning health and education 
and the benefit of those who are most vulnerable. And even as the events of the book of Ruth took place when everybody did as she or he saw fit, so we pray for our society where increasingly there is no accepted right or wrong but what I feel trumps all other moral decisions. Have mercy on us, Lord. And even if things have to get worse before they get better, we pray that in time our hearts and society would be reorientated back to you. Even as the events of the book of Ruth took place at a time of famine, we pray for those parts of the world suffering from the effects of abnormal heat, leading to reduced crops and burnt-up vegetation. And ask for those parts of the world which have plenty to be mindful and generous of those who have so little. We pray most especially for forgotten parts of the world experiencing extreme malnutrition, no longer in the news, the Horn of Africa, Somalia, South Sudan. And even as the events of the Book of Ruth took place at a time of refugee relocation, we pray for those who even at this moment in time are fleeing famine, poverty, violence and persecution. And for those who instead of finding freedom and relief are experiencing renewed dangers and further suffering and pain. We pray very specifically for people within our community who have come often from very difficult situations. And pray that as Christian people we will be kind and loving and respectful prepared to share our hearts and share Jesus in the extension of your kingdom and the honor of Christ's name. And even at the time of the uh, story of Ruth, Elimelech took his family away from the place of bread in search of bread. We pray for those who have gone looking for fulfillment joy or life elsewhere but instead to find nothing but death and misery in the wilderness and we pray grace please for such to return to return to Christ however complicated that return might be to the place where Jesus is to be found the place of fulfillment and fruitfulness. Gracious Lord, finally, even as the book of Ruth took place in a context of love and kindness and caring marriage, so we pray for all who have recently married and soon to be married couples, especially this morning we bring to you Ishmael and Philippa as they anticipate their wedding on Wednesday. Heavenly Father, as you have brought them together by your grace, so will you not only bless them, please, in their union together as long as they both shall live, but please make them a great blessing to their family, friends, and church community. 
Enable them to transcend all that is past, but to rejoice in your love, your kindness, your providence, and your sovereign grace. Heavenly Father, even as the events of this book remind us of your sovereign purposes, enable us to live our lives with openness to your leading, open to your guidance concerning the truth and generosity of heart and spirit. And our prayers we offer in the name and for the sake of our Redeemer, Christ our Lord.